Media. The last time Morimoto showed any signs of life, as far as we know, was on September 22, 2021. He reached out to Steve and Julie, the couple we met back in Episode 1, with a text message. So now, so many years later, all of a sudden, gets a text message, message yeah. from him. He surfaces at 40 minutes after midnight on the 22nd of September. Of course, on a different phone number. This is Morimoto. You know, I just changed the phone number. That's why I couldn't contact with you. Da, 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 something. See, so he changed his phone. Oh. He surfaces and he's contacting us now mm-hmm. after being gone. We were shocked that he was trying to contact us. I mean, when you think about it, you, again, step outside the box. Desperate people do desperate things. But to them, it's almost normal. Like, somehow, some way, possibly in his brain, since he's been gone for a couple of years now, he's gotten to a point now where he's underground, facing some sort of crisis to where he has no other choice now but to surface in order to survive. Or why would he come out and, and contact the people that know already what he has been involved with and done in the past? How did you feel when you got that message? Mazui is a general word that means this is bad. You can use it when food tastes bad, when something is awkward, or in this case, when you know you're up against something that could mean trouble. Basically, anything that leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Julie felt uneasy about Morimoto resurfacing. She chose not to engage. But she got another call the next day that went to voicemail, so at that point, she called up Morimoto's old boss, Murata-san, to give him the heads up. And Murata-san, as we know, had already gotten his own email from Morimoto. He actually sent me an apology email recently, asking for his job back. He said what? He said, I've, I've, I've changed, I've become a new so, person, I've been reborn, so, so, and I want to work with you again. So, Is he fucking crazy? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Over the course of reporting for the show, we've tracked down some of Morimoto's contact information. That phone number he used to text and call Julie, that email address he used to write Murata-san. I tried contacting Morimoto on every single one of them, sent him emails, texted his old phone numbers, called them too. I even sent a letter to his bank, hoping they might get it to him. It's a weird trick that works now and then. He had a barely used Twitter account, DM'd that. All of them led nowhere, not a single response. We did some additional snooping online, and that's how we found a Wantedly account that seemed to be him. Wantedly is kind of like a Japanese version of LinkedIn, and we were pretty sure it was Morimoto. Two of his connections were people who worked at Morimoto's old firm, the one before Murata-san's company. Other than that, it was pretty barren, except for a link to an equally barren Facebook account. The thing is, we had no idea if he was still active on any of these channels. He didn't have any new posts that we could see. Everything was set to private, which led us to think maybe he truly was hiding or maybe something worse had happened to him. We just didn't know. Still, we learned from Sakura Sachiko that detectives sometimes make profiles on social media or dating apps. The goal is to find their targets directly or gather information from those who may know them. And we learned that you have to work carefully you don't want to spook the person you're looking for. 
In hindsight, this is a little embarrassing, but remember that the other recent sign of life from Morimoto was his sugar daddy activity on Murata-san's credit card? We tried to catfish Morimoto on Japanese LinkedIn. After talking to all of Morimoto's fellow victims, we just thought this guy's a little unhinged, right? Like Steve said, you can't reason with someone who's gone off the deep end. All that we knew about him was that he was looking for a job and he liked cute girls. We decided to combine the two to try and get his attention. We had one of our writers, Amy, make a profile under a fake name with a heavily filtered selfie. And then she sent a connection request. Wait, guys, 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 guys. What? He actually viewed my account. Oh, wait, 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 did you view your account? He viewed my account. What? Whoa. Four days ago. Four days ago. But he didn't Mor- Morimoto was alive. So he viewed my account four days ago, but he didn't... He didn't accept your he request. He didn't accept my request. So we knew he was alive at least, but we really wanted to get in touch with him somehow, or at the very least, talk to people who might know him as the person he is today. But we weren't getting anywhere. It was starting to feel like we were hitting a wall. The thing is, we had one more lead. This would be a wildly different approach from catfishing Morimoto. We had an address for Morimoto's parents. Since nothing else seemed to be working, it was time to make a house call to knock on their door. From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Gone with the Gods, season one of The Evaporated. I'm Jake Adelstein. And I'm Shoko Planbeck. Episode nine, The Right to Disappear. Years ago, Murata-san paid Morimoto's parents a visit right after that scary incident where he was kidnapped by an angry Yakuza. But when he got there, the parents turned Murata-san away without hesitation. So we didn't think our chances were good by any means, but we still wanted to see if they would talk to us. We got up early, at least early for us, to go knock on their door. God, it's so early. Yeah, it's like 10:16 on a Sunday. Jesus Christ, I don't know how we got up this early. The sun is barely creaking over the horizon. Okay. <laughs> Come on, Choco. We've got a couple things to do. Here. Please have a seat on my beanbag. So one of the things we got to do today is we got to get to this guy's house, or the house of his parents, mm-hmm. who I feel a little bit sorry for. Um, Why? Because we're about to go ambush them? Yes. And also because they've got a son who is apparently leaves a whirlwind of destruction behind him wherever he goes. It's really easy to think of Morimoto as this unstable, dishonest con man, one who's alienated his clients, friends, and maybe even his own family. That was one of the main questions on our minds. What was his relationship with his parents after all this? Maybe he disappeared on them like he had on everyone else. Or maybe he was still in contact. Maybe they knew things that we didn't know. We thought about the possibility that they had been helping him all this time. And if that was the case, how would they react to our visit? Because imagine you're helping someone rebuild his life, and some strangers show up at your door with questions about that person. It doesn't matter if they're two Yakuza at your door or two reporters. They're still threatening to bring up the past, and that could pose a threat to this missing person's new life. And I can kind of imagine how that would feel, because I've helped someone run away before. It was 2008 and she was the mistress of one particular Yakuza boss I was trying to dig up dirt on so I could bury him, so to speak. He was a really bad guy. Sociopathic, sadistic, ruthless. And she wanted out. 
I don't blame her. I saw her just as a source at first, but when you meet a person who hates someone as much as you do, you kind of bond over that. I really wanted to see her safe out of this asshole's reach. So I helped her escape. I called in a few favors. I was surprised at how quickly I was able to get her a new name, a new identity, in fact. And some of that came from things I had learned covering the Yakuza, like how two of them had managed to sneak into the U.S. to get a liver transplant under, more or less, fake names. I went to the ATM, took out a shoebox full of cash, and paid for her flight out of the country under this new identity. I also paid for a flight out of the country under her real name. She never got on that flight. And that was it. She escaped. She's safe. That was over a decade ago. I do hear from her from time to time, but only when she reaches out. But if someone showed up at my door asking about her, that would send a chill down my spine. I am sure of it. People don't run away just because they feel like it. It's a tough choice. And it's not like running away guarantees your safety. You have to lie low, avoid certain places, keep your online presence under tight wraps. One misstep, and you could be found. And I think it can be hard to gauge just how far you have to run away from your past and for how long until you're finally in the clear. Even decades later, that paranoia lingers. The Japanese law is actually on your side if you're trying to keep your past in the past. In the United States, a background check, which includes your criminal record, it's just part of signing a loan, buying a house, or starting a job. And most court proceedings are on the public record. But in Japan, it's extremely difficult to get access to anyone's personal information, much less their criminal record. Potential employees are supposed to self-report their criminal history, but there's no way to verify it. Criminal records are protected under personal privacy laws that make them off-limits to almost everyone. Unless you're a police officer or a prosecutor or a public servant, the only way to gain access to someone's criminal records is to break the law yourself. And even cops who do it without cause can get arrested and go to jail. Rehabilitation is the central idea in these privacy laws. They give you the chance to not be defined by the worst times in your life. I think this rings true for people who disappear, too. It's the right to disappear on your own terms, to pave a new way forward. Something I realized while reporting on this show is that most people don't evaporate as a permanent solution. They end up resurfacing, or at least they want to. Take Sugimoto-san, for example, Saita-san's Yonige driver. He doesn't want to run away forever. He imagines a future where he has earned the right to be a father to his kids again. I went to see them a few times, and I, I told my kids that I'd like to live together again someday. Once I atone for my sins, sounds weird, but once I properly pay back my debts, I asked if they could be patient until then. Bad decisions and circumstances he lost control over forced him into hiding in the first place. So to return, and to feel safe returning, it just has to be on his own terms. It reminded me of a story Jake told me once. As I get older, I realize that I know a lot of people who've disappeared. And maybe I'm coming close to the point where the people I used to know outnumber the people I do know now. It's an occupational hazard. A friend of mine went missing in 2006. She just didn't show up for work one day. 
and her apartment was totally cleaned out. I tried and failed to file a missing persons report. The police just blew me off. I tried to find out what happened to her on my own and failed again. In a way, I was very much afraid of finding out what had really happened. I kept looking, and then I gave up. And I tried not to think about her. Until Christmas Eve, 2011, when I got a phone call. I didn't recognize the number, but I recognized her voice. This is how I remember it, even years later. Hello? She had a new job and a new life, and she wanted to be forgotten. She also wanted me to know that she was alive. I had a lot of questions to ask, but she told me firmly to just listen for a change. And I did. I let her say her piece. Afterwards, there was a very long silence. Merry Christmas. You know, now and then, Jake, I miss you. Um, but if you care about me, you'll just leave it that way. Take care. Then she hung up. I do care about her. So as much as I wanted to know why she'd done this, I left it alone. People need to be able to move past their past. No matter how much I might miss someone, I have to respect that. That's what I owe them. Back in detective school, they told us that many people who disappear often want to be looked for, and they want to be found. They want that permission to come back home again. But I also knew from experience that that, unfortunately, is not always the case. So that's what I was thinking about, more or less, while Shoko and I walked to the station closest to my house, on our way to knock on Morimoto's parents' door. I hadn't slept well. I was in my head about whether this was the best thing to do. Maybe this was a really dick move. It felt like the old job I had to do as a crime reporter. We called it Gankubiotoru, literally headhunting. That's when you went door to door, trying to get a photo of the person who was murdered or the person who killed them. It was an unsavory task, and I hated doing it. And that might be why I was so preoccupied that morning that I lost my phone. Yeah, would you call me just to make sure I, it's not here? But I have a feeling that it's somewhere obscure. I was almost sure that I put it. Yeah. Little morning setback. But I get a cafe latte. I waited at a cafe in the station while Jake ran back to his house to look for his phone. The lattes I ordered were cold by the time Jake called me. Found your phone? Yeah, I got my phone. Guess what was in my notifications? It says, one people viewed your profile. Morimoto just came up on my phone this morning. It's the first thing. Oh, weird. And I got a request. From Morimoto I had downloaded the Wantedly app, Japanese LinkedIn, after Morimoto viewed Amy's profile, and I may have snooped his profile, he could tell I had viewed his page, too. So, what it says is here, it says that I am looking to support a venture... I read off Morimoto's profile, detailing his qualifications as an accountant. I am well aware of the accounting and processing of financial statements that are needed to run a startup, and I have request received. So, what is it? Request received. Okay, I can connect. What do I do? Do I connect? Yeah, connect. No, connect. You know, I mean, I'm actually really glad that I forgot my phone. And I'm glad this one people visited my profile. Because wow. you know, one people is the one person that I'm looking for. 
we canceled our trip to Chiba. It would just be too weird if we showed up at his parents' house an hour after Morimoto himself reached out. Having him reach out to Jake was kind of the ideal situation. I felt relieved. Just like that, Morimoto had resurfaced. So crazy. Talk about synchronicity. It reminds me of what we were talking about in detective school. Right. About luck, right? My father always said that better to be lucky than to be good. And it just reminds me so much of, of, of a previous case where you bust your ass to try and find somebody and then it just sort of falls in your lap. They just reach out to you. A connection on social media is one thing. Finding the man behind it is another. That's after the break. This is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations. With carefully curated original tales of terror each week, our deepest rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. Make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Morimoto's Wantedly profile had a link to his Facebook account on it, so I sent him a friend request, and he accepted it. Simple as that. There weren't many posts up on his Facebook. There were old pictures of him in his younger, more awkward years, and he'd shared his adult milestones, his first apartment living by himself, a picture of his new TV, and his announcement to his friends and family that he got a job at a big accounting firm. There were a lot of likes and some words of congratulation. People were happy for him. Have you written Monimoto yet? Yeah, I wrote him this afternoon. And, like, don't get your hopes up, because I don't want to jinx it. But what I wrote him was, like, like, hey, dude, I was going through Wannadly and looking for an accountant, and you came up, and you were such a great accountant. I know there was this problem back in 2018, but what's the Japanese say? Let's just, you know, let it flow into the water. Let's just sink it into the river because I could really use a good account. You know, I see by your profile, if you're still doing accounting, you know, would you take me on? And he was like, oh, well, I'm doing this job now and stuff. What job is he doing right now? He says he's like something like uh, a business planning, okay. full-time company, but he's, I'm still taking on individual tax yeah. returns. And, and you messaged him on Facebook? I messaged him on Facebook. And you responded? Yes, he responded oh, within yeah. like 20 minutes. Morimoto does speak a little English as a matter of fact but most of our interaction has been in Japanese. So while I wish this was his voice, it is not. Hi Jake-san, it's been a while. I'm currently working in corporate planning for a company, but I also do personal tax returns. It would be nice to have the opportunity to meet with you, to catch up and exchange greetings. After all this, it was that easy? I replied and we had a short back and forth. 
We agreed to meet near our studio at 7 p.m. on a Monday. I said that we'd pick him up in the lobby. I agreed to accompany Jake under a slight cover identity. I would be his editor and literary agent. I'm like, I'm kind of like, um, I'm not anxious. It's like that feeling of anticipation. As the time ticks by, I have like a slight knot in my stomach. I do too. I'm like, I'm actually having like, some actually like, like vibrating. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel the same way. And I also don't want to peer over here, so I don't know how I want to wait for that call. Five minutes early is on time in Japan, so we got to the lobby at 6.55. Seven rolled around, and Morimoto hadn't shown up. Ten more minutes passed. When it started going on 15 minutes, we were getting doubtful he'd ever arrive. Maybe he sensed it was a trap. A harmless trap, but still a trap. I'm going to call you, so... Yeah. Hi, what's what? Morimoto had the right building, but he got a little lost, so we went to go find him. Jake and Morimoto go way back, but I had never met the man myself. And we didn't have any good pictures of him either, so I had no idea who we were looking for. I'd only heard over and over again that he was tall. But Jake recognized Morimoto immediately, even with his back turned, and made a beeline for him. I introduced myself. The first thing I noticed was that he was drenched in sweat, even though it wasn't hot out. He probably ran here to try and meet us on time. He seemed nervous, but not quite I stole $1,500 nervous. Normal nervous. The kind of nervous you'd be seeing someone for the first time in five years. To be honest, I was feeling the same way, but less sweaty. Even after all of this, I was happy to see him. And I was glad that he seemed happy to see me too. He was a little flustered, but looked pretty put together. He had a fitted black blazer on, and I noticed this cute flower pin on his lapel, which was a surprisingly endearing detail. Other than that, he looked like any other businessman. During the last six months, every time I'd see a particularly tall guy in his 30s, I'd think, what if that's Morimoto? But the guy standing in front of me, I could have walked past him hundreds of times and not even suspected it was him. As it turns out, it's more likely than any of us thought. The office he works at is in the same neighborhood as our recording studio. We continued our small talk, got into the elevator, and settled into the meeting room to talk shop. Say what you will, but he was a damn good accountant, and I had taxes to file. But when he started quoting prices, (laughs) Morimoto is not in a great position to be quoting prices. Yes, but I was very diplomatic about it. I said, I don't think I can pay you in advance after, you know what happened last time? And he got a little flustered. He's a nervous laugher. And he just went, ha, 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 oh, maybe I'll do it for free then. None of us mentioned the elephant in the room. What the hell happened back in 2018? I thought maybe he'd open up later, but it started to become clear that any time we even approached the subject, he'd get a little flustered and evasive. 
So we didn't push him too hard on that. Time and place. It was close to dinner time, so we decided to get some Middle Eastern food nearby. Jake had a quick phone call to make, so it was just Morimoto and I for about 20 minutes. I was pleasantly surprised to find out that Morimoto is actually very easy to talk to. He's like everyone said he was. Friendly, personable, charming even. I asked him about his weekend, and he told me that he spent it working in a smoothie stand. He's not usually making smoothies. He's a corporate planner for a fruit company. But there happened to be a big food festival in town, and his company needed all hands on deck. So he helped out. And I was like, wait, what food festival? Because me, Amy the writer, Jake, and his girlfriend Jesse, we were at that food festival. And Amy and Jesse got smoothies. Turns out, they got them at that exact smoothie stand from Morimoto himself. We had been looking for Morimoto for months, and it seems like, without knowing it, the universe was just pulling us together. He talked more about his company, and he had nothing but good things to say. He was really earnest. I was so stressed and getting so worn out at the accounting firm. And then I found the company that I work at now. It really is an interesting company. I first heard about it when I went to a seminar and the president was talking about his company and how it does agroforestry. Agroforestry is the last thing I imagine to be talking about with Morimoto. It's when you grow a forest and fruit trees alongside each other at the same time. That way, you can help expand the Amazon. It's eco-friendly and sustainable. And I thought that was so cool. <laughs> He looked into the company and saw that they were struggling a bit on the business and financial end of things. And Morimoto thought that was something he could help them with. He had the skills and the background for it. And he was hired. Oh, that's so interesting. Like, it can be so soul-sucking to work at a company, but the one that you're at sounds like it's really rewarding. Exactly. Working here gives me a sense of purpose. Working as an accountant for a firm, or even freelance, it's extremely stressful. It's low pay, long hours, endless overtime, and angry clients. At the company he worked at before Murata-san's company, it was especially bad. He told us about how he got stuck with the Yakuza front company that was dabbling in loan sharking and tax evasion. His boss had pushed the client onto him, even though Morimoto had told him he didn't want to do it. This front company was managing J-pop idol groups. But their main income was making loans at high interest to workers at host clubs. Basically, a host is a young, attractive guy that women pay money to talk to. And the host often get the women to rack up huge bills and then introduce their female clients to loan sharks. The loan sharks introduce the women to sex clubs, and they're all connected. It's the seedy circle of life. Morimoto was very uncomfortable working for the loan sharks. It's risky business, and it can make you an accessory to a crime. Maybe that's one of the reasons he flew the coop. Because jobs like that, you can't just quit. If you do, you really might end up at the bottom of Tokyo Bay. And everyone I've known who ended up working for the Yakuza comes away corrupted, warped. They say if you lie down with dogs, you wake up with fleas. It takes a long, long time to get rid of those fleas. While we waited for a falafel place to arrive, Morimoto talked some more about his old firm. He mentioned quietly, 
stoically even, that a couple of employees from his old company had died from overwork. One of them was a coworker he'd often go have drinks with. We were really close. He wasn't in the best of health to start with. He had surgeries and stuff when he was a kid. Usually, you get the end of the year off, right? Like the 28th and 29th? But we were working. I remember the whole thing so well. I put my suit on, I went to work, and the co-worker I'm talking about also said he was coming in. But then he didn't come. And I was talking with my other co-workers like, well, it's supposed to be a holiday. Maybe something came up? And then on the 30th, I was getting ready to go into work, and the boss sent us all an email in the group chat saying he had died. He'd fallen down in his house from a gastric ulcer he developed from work stress. And the ulcer was so big that when the ambulance finally came and took him to the hospital, they said there was nothing they could do for him. He died right after. He was so obviously karoshi. He'd worked too much. I was in shock, to be honest. Karoshi is a Japanese word for dying from overwork. Work is a cause of death. Like it's that common in Japan that there's a recognized, dedicated word for it. I asked him when his friend had passed away. That was right before I quit, back in 2007. Most often, the people who die from overwork are the ones making the least money, the salary men and the office ladies who are seen by the people up top as just replaceable labor. And Morimoto was one of them. He knows what it's like to be an average working salary man, working from 8 in the morning to midnight, making as little as $2,000 a month. This stuck with me. And I feel like it put a lot of things into perspective. Everyone we've talked to about Morimoto is in a much higher income bracket than him. They are his bosses, his clients. He's the little guy that people shove a shoebox at. Even his watch, right? The one that got ripped off his wrist by the Yakuza? Murata-san, who knows how much Morimoto makes every month, called it cheap and fake. And in the same breath, he estimated it was worth up to $1,000. I don't know about you, but cheap? That's a relative term. I think that's expensive. And for Steve and Julie, the same watch was damning evidence of Morimoto's excessive, shady lifestyle. So even with something as simple as a wristwatch, Morimoto can't win. Morimoto stole $1,500 from Jake, and it was wrong of him to do that. But for most of his clients, that amount is inconsequential. For Morimoto, that's a whole month's salary. A whole month of killing yourself for long, hard hours at a company that doesn't care about you. The same stressors that cause karoshi also contribute to people's decision to evaporate. Talking with Morimoto over dinner, eating falafels together, and hearing him talk about his past and how passionate he was about what he's doing now, it made it easier to empathize with his situation. He became a real person to me with real reasons for running away. Let me take you on a bit of a tangent about a mysterious case of kamikakushi being hidden away by the gods that we didn't get a chance to tell you about. It was May 3rd, 1998. Fiery red azaleas were in full bloom at the Akagi Shrine in Guma Prefecture. On this day, 48-year-old Noriko Shizuka and her family went there to see the beautiful blooming flowers for themselves. But when they got there, the weather wasn't that great. 
It was drizzling, so Noriko-san opted to stay in the car while her family went ahead. When they returned to tell her how pretty it was, she had a change of heart. She was already there. She might as well go have a look. So Noriko grabbed her coin purse, you throw money into the shrine before you pray, and she took her red umbrella with her. Then Noriko's family watched her walk away towards the shrine and never saw or heard from her ever again. The story still gets mentioned every now and then. On the 10th anniversary of Noriko's disappearance, her husband, Tadao, just stood on the grounds of Akagi Shrine, handing out flyers of his missing wife. He had just finalized the paperwork to legally declare Noriko dead. Tadao told reporters that he still wants to believe that she'll come back. He has kept Noriko's belongings in their home. He refuses to hold a goodbye ceremony or put up a memorial altar. He said, I feel like if I do those things, it'll really mean this is the end. This story feels like Kamikakushi in the most classical sense. A disappearance where there are no clues, no motive, no trace. It feels like the only possible explanation is that a spirit led her away into another realm. But cases like this, they're in the minority. Cases of people vanishing in the modern day are less mythological and more a reflection of problems lurking in the folds of Japanese society. Misogyny breeds predators who target women. A rapidly aging population lacks the resources to take care of the elderly. A broken justice system can legally keep a suspect in jail for weeks, and nobody knows where they went. And sometimes, it's just people trying to escape the unbearable reality of their everyday lives. They're in abusive relationships. They're taking out loans just trying to make ends meet. Or they're toiling away in a toxic work environment that encourages you to work until you drop dead. The disappearance itself, the thing we see on the surface, is just the breaking point. There were long days leading up to the evaporation, days filled with indignities and pains that the rest of us will never see. And that all might just pile up on a person until it becomes too heavy to bear. When we first started looking into the phenomena of evaporating, I imagined people completely changing their identities, cutting all ties. For all intents and purposes, vanishing into thin air. Like... And of course, some people do exactly that. But there are changes to the system being implemented that might make evaporating a much more difficult thing to pull off. And it's a lot more than just getting rid of the fax machines. I talked with Detective Goro about it. So I read in the paper the other day that the government is going to get rid of the health insurance cards. They're going to change it to the My Number card, yes? A My Number card is like an all-in-one identification card with a photo ID on it. It was introduced in 2015, and the government wants it to be the one card that rules them all. You can use it to do your taxes, file for health insurance, or set up a bank account. And unlike other forms of ID in Japan, it is extremely difficult to forge. It has a photo ID and a scannable electronic chip. And then the world of easily disappearing itself will vanish, right? Well, yes, I think it is already getting more difficult. Also in Japan, there are not many forgery companies. In the U.S., it's easy to find a lot of forgery companies. But in the U.K. and Japan, there are not many services for driver's licenses and the like. But recently, some people have started forging Japanese IDs and passports. And if you look on the dark web, you can see it. The My Number card is still technically optional. 49% of people, 
including myself, have it. When you try to buy something online or you set up a smartphone payment method, they ask you for your My Number. You can even verify your Tinder account with it. And if you don't have any photo ID, like a passport, driver's license, or My Number, simple, everyday things become much more inconvenient. The growing number of My Number users is making it increasingly difficult to navigate the world with an unverified identity. And for people who want to disappear, that makes it harder to choose the nuclear option. You can't just buy it off a homeless person like you could a koseki. But what we've discovered from reporting this show is that most people who run away don't choose the nuclear option. There's plenty of privacy laws still in place to make this possible. Generally speaking, people want to be themselves, but their circumstances don't allow it. So they hit the reset button. They escape from their horrible circumstances and start over, not as a new person, but as themselves, just in a new life. This is what Morimoto did, and he really seemed to be trying to turn over a new leaf. He found a company to work for that he really believes in, that gives him fair hours. He feels like he's doing something good for the world in some small way. There was something I noticed about him when we met. His hands. He had a nervous habit of picking at his fingers. The skin around his nails was red, and it was really torn up. There were spots that had clearly been bleeding. And while he talked, he seemed comfortable and conversational, but his hands were always busy. We thought he was crazy for reaching out to all these people from the past who trusted him, all these people he had screwed over. And who knows, he might be the same shady, manipulative Morimoto. But on the off chance that he isn't, it's incredibly brave of him to reach out. I'm chronically optimistic. I kind of felt protective of his new life, like it was something I didn't want to jeopardize. I have to say, despite being angry at him for these last few years, I felt the same way. I was really happy to know he was alive and doing well. And I thought about how I would feel being unwittingly cast as the poster child for bad choices and for running away from the messes I made. So I decided that the next time I saw him, I'd tell him the truth. I'd give him the benefit of the doubt and ask him if he'd speak on the record, on his own terms, about his disappearance. That's after the break. It was time to come clean with Morimoto, and it was going to be just me and him, man to man, bro to bro. Shoko thought that was best, and I agreed. I asked him to meet me at the Foreign Correspondents Club of Japan. We were supposed to talk over the details of him doing some accounting work for me, but I had also prepared two articles about the show for him to read. One was an IGN article published recently in Japan, the other was an interview with Tisanka, our producer, from Zaiten. The interview was two pages long, mostly about this show. He was ten minutes early this time. When I saw him, I noticed that he was wearing the same outfit as the last time we met. I greeted him and handed over the two articles, asking him to give them a read later. Let's have a drink and talk somewhere. I'm working on your contract to do my corporate registration as well. Uh, thanks. Okay. And just for your information, there's a show that we've been working on recently that's all in here. Um, take your time and really read it. It's interesting. Tokyo Vice? No, it has nothing to do with that, but the movie, 
A man uncovers the peculiar relationship between the family registry and the Japanese people. It's like about a guy who's starting a new life. Just put it in your backpack. You have plenty of time, so read really carefully. I'll take a look and see if there's anything weird. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything weird. <laughs> he looked at the Zaiten article and saw my name. He nodded a bit and put it away. How's work going? I've been a little busy. I'm sorry about tracking you here. I usually do overtime, so 9 p.m. is good for me. Do you always work here? There are a lot of people from overseas. Yeah, there's some kind of event going on today. Um, I don't think I got your email. Uh, I didn't send it yet, sorry. I had told him I wanted to hire him to renew my corporate registration, so we briefly discussed when we could get the contract sorted. We had each other's contacts, so we'd sort the details out later. At this point, we entered a steakhouse on one of the lower floors of the building. I had scoped it out earlier. We sat at the bar counter close to the entrance. Morimoto sat to the left of me. I put down my coat on the empty seat to my right, and I had my audio recorder hidden inside my coat pocket aimed at him. I was going to come clean about the podcast and investigating him, but telling him that I was going to record our conversation was a whole other story. Things were going well while we got settled. But almost immediately, this couple, this buff but nerdy American guy with glasses, and a Japanese girl he's trying to impress, they sit down next to us. And the dude tosses his huge coat on top of my coat. I was trying really hard to stay cool and collected. I passed Morimoto the menu, and he said he's usually a Japanese sake kind of guy, but the Irish coffee looked good. It did sound good, so I followed suit and got a Spanish coffee. It's the same idea as Irish coffee, but Kahlua instead of whiskey. By the way, you know how Americans get our bad rap abroad for being loud talkers? Well, we deserve it. The guy next to us was basically yelling, and the girl he was with was matching his pitch. But I have a bicycle now. I just, I'm, I'm excited about it. I ordered the two coffees for myself and Morimoto. It was hard for the bartender to hear me over the couple next to us. So, while the bartender made our drinks, Morimoto and I continued our conversation as well as we could. He had what looked like rosary beads on his wrist, and I asked him about it. No, they aren't rosary beads. They're seeds from the fruit my company sells. They've been dried and stained. Pretty cool. And then he pulled out the articles I printed out for him. He thumbed through them, and I told him about this show. I mentioned that over 80,000 people disappear each year, and he's interested. He asked, why so many? So I broke down the demographics and the motives. I told him, some people kill themselves. Some people are in bad marriages. Some people get killed. Some people have job trouble and huge debts they cannot pay. I told him about how we interviewed some of these people. A golf course manager who couldn't pay his debts and was being hounded by the Yakuza. Other cases too. At this point, I think it began to dawn on him what was coming next. And uh, one of the people we follow is you, because you vanished. And we don't use your name at all. And he nodded, let out a nervous laugh. Then it was quiet. He looked at the article once more and said, It's kind of funny, because it's exactly the same thing Julie said, 
about when Morimoto texted her in 2021. This is bad. And I don't think he was talking about his coffee. And at this exact point, the buff, nerdy, loud American next to me picked up his fancy bike bag off the floor. He put it right on the seat next to me, and he started to rummage through it on top of his coat, which is on my coat on top of the recorder. As politely as I could, I said, excuse me, sir, your bag is on top of my coat. He was like, oh, well, excuse me, sorry, not in a very sincere way. And as I asked him to take his bag off my coat, Morimoto had gotten up and out of his seat. His coat was already in his hand. He tapped me on the shoulder and said, thank you for the meal, and darted off. I rushed to pay and chase after him, but by that time, Morimoto was long gone. He had evaporated into the Tokyo night again. And those were the last two words I heard from Morimoto. Mazui. Gochusousama deshita. This is bad. Thank you for the delicious meal. I called, but he didn't pick up. I messaged him on Facebook online. I still haven't gotten a response. I called Shoko immediately after. She had just one thing to say to me. Wow. I didn't know what to say. I had mixed feelings about the whole thing. This is someone who had been faceless to me this whole time. Someone painted as a thief, a con artist, a womanizer, someone potentially dangerous. These things may all have a grain of truth to them, but sitting there on the phone with Jake, I just felt guilty. We met him under the pretense of wanting to connect, to have our taxes done. So imagine meeting someone expecting to have a conversation about taxes, only to be shown articles written about you about the very thing you're trying to hide and leave in the past. Maybe it's part of his karma, and this is just one way his choices have caught up with him. And I don't regret what we did necessarily, but I still felt a sting of betrayal on his behalf. After the call, I just pictured Morimoto dashing out of the bar that night, and all I could see was someone panicking, calculating if this was the thing that could unravel his whole life. And running away from that thing, as fast as he could. And so we end where we began. The missing accountant. I didn't feel much better about the situation, to be honest. I thought about all the trouble he'd left behind, and it wasn't my place to forgive him for what he'd done to others. I understood why he'd done what he did, but I had no issue with him. I'd lost $1,500, but he'd lost his way. Maybe he evaporates again. Maybe there's still a world in which Morimoto decides that we should have a talk. Maybe we will reconnect. And maybe he even returns my shoebox. But if he does, I'll let it be his call. Because maybe he deserves that much. Maybe everybody deserves a chance to vanish and come back home. This has been the first season of The Evaporated, Gone with the Gods, a production of Campside Media with Sony Music Entertainment. It was reported by Jake Adelstein and myself, Shoko Planbeck. This episode was written by Jake Adelstein, Amy Planbeck, and myself. 
Our producer is Tisanka Siripala. The executive producer is Josh Dean. Story editing by Josh Dean and Amy Plambeck. Fact-checking by Anika Robbins and Himari Iwamoto. Sound design, mix, and engineering by Taka Yasuzawa with assistant engineering by Yurash Jovanovic and Alex Portfelix. Additional reporting and production assistance by Himari Iwamoto. Voice acting on this episode by Tyson Fa, Victoria Peebles, David Neal, Makoto Hirano, and Nozomi Delongsong. Editorial support by Aliyah Papes, Doug Slaywin, and Destiny Dingle. The executive producers at Campside Media are Josh Dean, Vanessa Gregoriadis, Adam Hoff, and Matt Scher. If you enjoyed The Evaporated, Gone with the Gods, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. It really does help other people find the show. We hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for coming with us into the world of The Evaporated. <laughs>